Father, this is our time to equip ourselves according to your word. It's what we have this time set aside for. Uh, Lord, we know from your word that you desire for us to know you. You desire for us to study your word and to know it intimately, to meditate on it day and night, to not let a single bit of it fall. And uh, Lord, this is an opportunity that you have granted to us in your sovereign providence to do that. And I pray that you'd help our hearts to be ready to receive your word, to receive the instruction from your word, the truth of your word, and apply it. Lord, help us to see where we are off kilter from where your word is this morning and help us to repent and renew our mind and put on the right truth. Help us to see where we are walking in your ways and let us praise you this morning, Lord, for how you are guiding us there, shepherding us there, and guarding our souls there. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity through your son, Jesus Christ alone, faith in him and his death, his resurrection, his defeat of sin and death, his pain for our sins on the cross to actually commune with you. Lord, we are so grateful, and we pray that you receive glory as we study your word this morning, as we worship here in about an hour and a half. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome, Equip. Again, if you need a, uh, a handout, I think there's some running around, uh, but we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 to 12 for what we study. But as we get started, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23. We're going to start in Psalm 23. There's going to be a theme this morning as we study 1 Peter that is proving God's word, which is very exciting um, because we know that God's word is true and we know that it proves itself over and over and over again. So we're going to start in a psalm, we're going to cover 1 Peter, and we're going to end in a psalm. And it's going to, be, it's going to tie together really well. So open up to Psalm 23. And what I want you to be thinking about as I read this and you read it is define the right life. You've heard the phrase, the good life. And is whatever thoughts and uh, ideas about that just went through your head, if you think switch that word from good to right, and that's where we want to be. And that's where we want to be. And Psalm 23 is a perfect picture of that. Let me read this. Read this with me and look for aspects of the right life. Psalm 23 reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If we just do a quick overview of that, in verses 1 through 5, we see some ideas of what's going on inside the psalmist. Who is he referencing as a person that guides his life? The Lord is my shepherd. So he's orienting himself underneath the Lord. See his thinking. I shall not want. See his heart and his thinking. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. You can see the psalmist's thinking in their heart. You can see that they're inwardly pursuing the Lord. And you can see their outward character in verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. You see that the outflow of that inward life pursuing the Lord, being shepherded by him, is that goodness and loving kindness follow him. 
And then you can see the desired right life in the last part of verse 6. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the right thinking. It's the right outward action of that thinking. And it's the right pursuit of the right life. And that's exactly what we're going to see in more detail in 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 to 12 this morning. Are those three things. So I'm thinking about these as proofs. We're proving the inward character of man. We're proving the outward characteristics of what we're supposed to be doing. And then we're proving the truth of it through God's word are the three proofs that we will get through this morning. The big picture First Peter theme is standing firm through suffering. Wade has helped us to see that a bit clearer where you have hope-filled standing, which leads to Christ-exalting walking as we stand firm. And if you look at uh, our passage for today or our theme for today on your handout, you'll see that the theme for today is all believers in unity are both blessed and are a blessing as they daily live out the inward and outward characteristics of Christ. And so let's read our text. Turn back to 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12, if you haven't already, and we'll read our text for today. It reads, Finally, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but given a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life, to love and see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So today we'll break that in, like I said, three proofs of living the right life before God. And proof number one is the inward characteristics of believers, what we're supposed to be thinking on the inside. We know that Scripture tells us out of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of what's going on inside of us, our actions and our words flow. So Peter starts on the inward characteristics of believers. He starts with this word, finally. Or in some of your Bibles, does it say, to sum up? Some versions say to sum up, some say the word finally. And it's this idea, not a summary of what's gone on before. It's, this is the last section as he's concluding his conversation that he's been having in this letter with the, the uh, dispersed brothers. And he's concluding his point on how we're supposed to live before the world and uh, where we've gone before, right? So where we've gone before since chapter 2, verse 11, where we learn that we are aliens and strangers in this world, we have looked at a few different things. We've been told that we're instructed to submit to a few different orientations. What are the, what are the places or, or people we're supposed to submit to? Governing authorities. Something that you go and do and they pay you for it. Workplace relationships. And our family relationships, right? Our family relationships in the right ways that God has described. Yes, we, what were the qualifiers of that submission? Meaning like, it's only when they're nice to you, right? So I get the chuckle. No, it's not that. It's, it's just or unjust, right? And we, we defined all of those things. But there was one standard. There was an example that was described in chapter 2. Go ahead and turn your page or be on the same page. Look to the left. Chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, we see Christ is our example, our standard, and even our source of power. I want to start there because otherwise you feel like it's this giant weight. But look at verse 21 of chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered 
for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He's our perfect standard. He's been there. He's suffered. He's been reviled and not reviled in return. He has lived these inward characteristics and these outward characteristics. And we have him as our example, but we also have him as our power. Go back and read verse 25, chapter 2, verse 25. It says, for you were continually straying like sheep. Yes, that is true. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Don't forget, the Lord is our shepherd. We started in Psalm 23 on purpose. That's the relationship he desires, for, has for us. He is our great shepherd, and he's the guardian of our souls. We're not alone on this journey. And we have the Lord to empower us as we go. And we can even see from just a, last Sunday, as Dusty taught on the road to Emmaus, that same love from Christ towards us as believers walking along this journey expressed. On the road to Emmaus, two disciples were encouraged by Christ. But where did he start? With revealing who he was and, hey, I'm here, it's okay. No, he starts with questions and he starts with an instruction from God's word, the Old Testament, proving that Christ is the Messiah. And then not until the very end did he open their eyes to see him. He's our shepherd. He loves us. No matter where we are, walking to Emmaus or not, no matter how we're walking, he comes alongside of us, and we have that. I want you to have that hope central in your heart because we're about to get into some parts that are like, that's really hard to do consistently. And I want you to remember that Christ is our shepherd, and he guards our souls. So let's get to our text. We hit the idea of finally, right? So he's, this is the last concluding exhortation to aliens and strangers who live rightly. And then he says, all of you. Okay, so who's the all of you? You have to understand. The all of you is all the dispersed believers that are receiving this letter. And then by extension, a few years later, us. It applies to us as well. So this is a believing church audience that's receiving it. And it has this, all of you has this implication that not only do all of you receive it, and you know that it's written to you, but it's expectant. It's all of you also do these things. In your text, it says all of you be. This word, this verb to be. Um, in the Greek, there's no verb there. I've learned that that language doesn't require the verb. It implies it. So to me, it's even stronger. It's like there's no one that would miss the point. And so we shouldn't either. All of you need to be this way. These five internal, internal characteristics that we're going to look at in verse 8 apply to all of us at all the same times, to all the same degrees. We need to be pursuing these. So let's go through them. The first one you see there is be like-minded, or someone might have harmonious. And to be like-minded is, is true that, hey, we, we are in agreement with one another, but it goes further than that. It means together not only in thoughts, but also in your views of the world, also in your views of what's right and wrong, and your purpose of what you're supposed to be living for. So then, all right, we're supposed to be like-minded in views and thoughts and purpose. We need to be very careful to define like-minded about what? in specific, and it's God's word is the simple answer. To be like-minded around everything is solved by the authority of God's word. So I'm going to take you back to your, I don't know, sixth, seventh, eighth grade science class maybe, and your, your teacher had those metal shavings on a plate, 
and then they gave you a magnet, and you hold that magnet over those metal shavings. Did anybody do that experiment, or is it just my odd? Okay, all right, so, all right, good. Maybe I'm the only one. Um, And what happens to those metal shavings when you hover that magnet right in them? Right? It makes that sound. That's just my verse. It, It clumps them all together. There's not one left astray. There's not one left going its own direction. Every metal shaving clumps to that magnet. That's the idea which says be like-minded towards God's word. Is Every one of us goes boom, and we're all right there. There are going to be times when you're like, I see it differently, or I feel differently, or this person's over there doing that other thing. Like, okay. But the instruction is not, hey, you're right or you're wrong. I'm going to judge you or I'm going to count. It's, no, it's, it's be like-minded to God's word. Be like-minded to God's word as far as it's concerned. In Romans 12, 5, Paul writes, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. It's the same expression, the same idea, right? There's a lot of us, but we are one body in Christ and we are centered right there. And that's our instruction to be like-minded. Romans 12, 16 says, be of the same mind toward one another. And Romans 15, 5 says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And that ties the loop back. So which attitude of mind? The one that Christ had. That's our standard. That's what we're supposed to be alike, unified on. So what does it take to be like-minded with a bunch of disparate sinners in a room? That's what we are, right? Redeemed sinners. But what does it take? And the simple word is it takes humility. Because it takes humility. And it takes a fervent love. A A verse you might have memorized, John 13, 34, 35, says this, and I love this verse, because it takes the idea of everybody understood at this time the commandment of love your neighbor as, everybody knew that, everybody knew that. And Jesus takes it to another, uh, another magnitude. He says, a new commandment I give to you, this is Jesus speaking, that you love one another, yes, we just discussed that, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Did you see the standard shift? You went from love your neighbor as yourself to love one another even as I have loved you. A Christ-like love towards your fellow believer. That kind of love is one where you can be like-minded with. Loving someone like your neighbor, maybe I want to, maybe I don't that day. You know, or as yourself. Okay, but there's, the standard has been raised even as I have loved you. That's the fervent love. And even to unbelievers, you love them like Christ We're not supposed to be like-minded with unbelievers, but you can love them by Christ, and it is a blessing to them as you love them. We'll cover that a little bit more later. And so this command to love like Jesus loves them is a required attitude to be like-minded with other believers. You have to be humble to do that. You have to be humble to do that. The next internal characteristic that we see is sympathetic. Sympathetic. So this is suffering or feeling with one another. And when you think of sympathy, it means that from your perspective, you've been there too. So you can really sympathize with them. And so if we're thinking the same, right, we're like-minded, this word comes right along behind us. Now we're feeling the same. Well, what's it take to feel the same with someone? We all all haven't had the same experiences. That's true. So if you're going to get really close to having had the same experience, there's only one thing to do. Is you have to be really close to the people that you're with. This convicted me a ton is I have to know deeply, and you need to know deeply, the people that are around you, their cares, their struggles, their joys, their praises, the things that are difficult, the sufferings that they're going through, and not just know them, but be in it with them. 
And we see stories of that happen all throughout church history. We see all that all throughout, even just local history, where people, you hear that, oh, someone went sat with someone else while they're struggling. That is being with them. It's that kind of sympathy that we have towards them. We're living and loving other believers so closely that we can feel it, that we can feel it. We're right there. In Hebrews 4.15, the writer gives us a really good example of Jesus Christ as our high priest. He's done this. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can sympathize with us. He took on humanity, the whole nature of it, tempted in every way, yet without sin. He can sympathize with us. That's the idea. He knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. He can sympathize with us. And we want to know that about other believers. Ways to come alongside folks and sympathize. Um, You can know them and experience their life by personally being there. But also, um, I love this in Hebrews 13, chapter, chapter 13, verse 3 is this idea of remembrance. It says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. And so it connects to us. We're all in the body of Christ. So there's a shared understanding of living life like that. Circumstances may vary and they will, but we have a shared understanding. And also remembering, don't forget the people that are suffering and to come alongside them and to remember them. James 1.27 sheds another angle of light on this idea of being sympathetic. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's the idea of visiting and being with. That's being sympathetic. Whether it's really close, going and actually visiting, remembering them in your prayers, coming alongside them in some way, that's being sympathetic to a fellow believer. The next characteristic we see is brotherly love. Brotherly love. It says, be brotherly. And this is Christians loving Christians. This is an affection among a people who are closely related to one another. You are close. You're related. So you're going to have that love. Well, what does this look like? And really, the idea of this brotherly love is it looks like unselfish service. Unselfish service to one another. And so you can serve people in multiple ways. You can think about their spiritual needs. When you understand, you walk closely enough with someone that you understand their spiritual needs, what can you do? You can pray for them. You can encourage them. You can admonish them if necessary. Romans 14, 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That's your actual pursuit. If I'm going to love you like a brother or sister in Christ, then my goal should be your edification. And that was convicting for me this week too. It's like, ah. I get the social goal. I get spending life with you. I get being around you and being near you and enjoying you. But do I take it to my purpose for being with you is to build you up. That's an aspect of what I want to do. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another, another way to do it, and build up one another, another way to do it, just as you are also doing. And in verse 14 of that same chapter, he says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Those are all ways to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, I said admonish. You some, we, sometimes we need someone to pick us up by the lapels of our shirt and say, get it straight. And we should love each other enough to do that. Now, don't start doing that, you know, physically. It's a metaphor for help someone. Um, 
But we should. Those are, should be real things that we do. But it's paired with encouragement and always that Christ-like love we have for someone else to do that. But that's the spiritual needs. You can come alongside and love them that way. You can also come alongside, love them like a brother with their physical needs. And Paul writes to the Philippians and shares the impact that they've had on his life in chapter 4. He says, Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Physically, we can come alongside of folks and help them as well. That's being brotherly. The next internal characteristic is the word kind-hearted. It just layers on. I tell you, it's heavy, I know. That's why we started with Christ is the one that supports you to get you through this. You're not alone because these are hard. Um, to be compassionate or kind-hearted, let me define that. It's the idea of being tender-hearted. And this Greek word can be used in two ways. One time it's used actually referring to the bowels or the intestines. And that doesn't apply to our context. What it does apply is that that's deep within you. You feel it so deeply, it's as if it's within you. And that's where we're looking. It's a powerful feeling. It calls for you to be so affected by the pain or praise and joy of others that you feel it deeply. And then the response, because you feel that with them, is to be tender and compassionate in response. Is to be tender and compassionate in response. So how do you do this, you might ask. Well... You have to pray to God for your heart to start being ready for this. You have to be looking for it. That was a big conviction. You have to be asking God to make your heart and your eyes ready to see these opportunities for compassion. And then ask God to provide them. Ask God to provide them. Paul instructs the believers in Ephesus to be this way. He says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. I love that. Do you see the shared feeling? The shared event is, hey, I've been forgiven by Christ and you've been forgiven by Christ, so there's nothing that can stop me from being tender towards you. We have that shared reality. Anything else you might say, well, well, maybe they're not kind or that situation is really hard and it makes me sad to go there. Nothing touches that, but we've both been forgiven by Christ. We can always be compassionate. It's an incredible way to love others, to know them that deeply that you feel their pain and trial and come alongside of them and love them that way. The last characteristic internally we'll look at this morning is being humble in spirit. Being humble in spirit. This idea, yes, modesty, yes, humility, but it's a concept of feeling, of, being, of recognizing your lowliness and your own moral littleness. It really puts us in our place. It is to really be comfortable with who am I? I am low and I'm morally little in contrast to what I'm supposed to be. That is a humble mind. So we could easily argue that this is the, of the five we've looked at so far this morning, that this is the one that lets the other ones flow. This is the other one that starts them all off. Is if you're humble in spirit, then you can actually be like-minded. You can be sympathetic. You can be brotherly. You can be kind-hearted. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes it this way. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. This is how our hearts are supposed to be oriented. Again, these questions are just hard. Like when you approach a conversation, is it, I want to build you up. That's my whole goal. And when you approach a conversation, is it, 
okay, nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but I want to be humble in mind and regard others as more important than myself. That's the right internal characteristic. If you're going to live the right life before God, those are the internals. That's where the right actions flow from. So let's apply these five to our lives for just a minute. Let's put these hard attitudes to work, see where we stand. Remember who we are as believers. Again, I'm coming back to the support that Christ gives us every single day. We can run to him every single day. He empowers us every single day. These are not things that you bootstraps, bootstraps, and all of a sudden you can do it. It's dependence on the Lord is where it comes from. So remember that. Remember that. We have Christ and his word to guide us so that we can know what's right every minute of the day. And then imagine a body of believers that acted like this. I'm not saying you don't act like this, but imagine a body of believers that perfectly acts like this and what that would be like, how they'd sympathize with one another, how they would be tender and compassionate to one another and the outcomes of that. We'd be lifted up in prayer and remembrance and closeness. The outside world would see and it would be a blessing to them and be a blessing to all of us as we care for one another. That is the intent that Peter has. Remember the audience that he's writing to, dispersed believers that are getting ejected from the worlds that they've known and persecuted for their faith. And inwardly, even though all of that's going on, that storm is raging, that's where we need to be, these characteristics. So a couple of definitely non-exhaustive ideas of where we could go. Again, you could pray for God to grow, not if, you should pray for God to grow these heart attitudes in yourself. And you should start praying for those opportunities. Another, you should look at the church prayer requests that come out. Occasionally we get those emails that someone put through and like look at those and follow through on those. That's convicting to me too because I can pray, but then what do I do with it? That's another opportunity. That's another opportunity. You can become close to the group that is right around you. And I'm thinking of your small groups. And yes, I'm the small group guy. This is not the, oh, look, I can plug it. Okay, that's not, that, I didn't plan that. Um, but it's right. This is the, it, in North Lake Bible Church, we have small groups that you're the close, smaller body of believers to be close to that's given for you to be a part of. There are other ways to be close to people. I get it. Uh, but that's one that's provided for you. So if you're not in one, get in one. If you are in one, get close to the people that you're around, like the close we've been talking about. So the question is, are these my heart attitudes? Are these the pursuits as I pray to the Lord? Are these my mindsets as I operate? And what an awesome opportunity we have that God has redeemed our souls and empowered us with the Holy Spirit and dwelling in us and the truth of his word to pursue that. We're not alone. That wraps up the inward characteristics. So let's, prove, let's move to our second proof, which is the outward characteristics of believers, which is verse 9. Verse 9, it says, Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but given a blessing instead, for you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So remember, who do these actions apply to? Same dispersed believers, but now we've added on the layer of these dispersed believers that have those inward characteristics running. So what are they doing? They're not returning evil for evil, and they're not returning insult for insult. So evil in that context is just the idea of general badness, the very underlying idea, the quality that's inherent in badness. So pursuing a return of hostility with evil intent, with bad intent. I just want to give it back to you. That's evil for evil. 
And this not returning is a negative form of a present tense verb, which means it's a command, and it's a present tense participle. We've got the ing on the end, which means do it now. So if you are not in the habit of returning evil for evil, don't start. If this is a practice that, you know, I actually fall prey to that sometimes, then stop is the intent. Stop doing that. And it's not just the inherent quality of badness, you know, desire to inflict wrong or ill to someone, but it's also insult for insult. And this is the speech, this is the railing, the reviling, the actual words that come out of your mouth, the slander or the abusive language, speaking ill of others. And we can see this culminating, if the inward characteristics are wrong, then the outward characteristics show up in Colossians 3.8. Follow this with me. It says, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice. And remember when Dusty taught that, those are the internals. Anger, wrath, malice, the way you feel inside, the way you think inside. And then it leads to what? Slander and abusive speech from your mouth. So you can see if the inward's not there, then the outward characteristics will flow of abusive speech. And don't be that way. It's a command to stop or not to start. Proverbs 19.1 says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. And we know in Proverbs, anytime the writer of Proverbs says you're a fool, it's talking about a sinner walking consistently in their sin, unrepentant. Don't be a fool. And then Paul even experienced this in his life. And I, we, we have a temptation to put Paul on a pedestal. I say we. That was inclusive unfairly. I have a temptation to put Paul on a pedestal. Like if I could be like Paul. I mean, in a lot of ways, he says emulate me. He walked with Christ. That's true. Uh, but, in, but he's also human. And you can see this. In Acts 23, 1 to 5, he's on trial before the council. It says, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest, Ananias, commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. You see that? I mean, Paul was unaware of context, and he reviled and returned. He, he had reviled the high priest in return. As soon as he knew who he was and what he'd done, what did he do? He did what every believer should do. He pivoted back to what does God's word say? How am I supposed to treat you? I shouldn't have reviled the authority above me. We see that's what it's talking about. That's what it's talking about. And Christ, again, is our perfect example. And going back to chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 23, read it this morning. It says, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And that's what we're supposed to do. And we've studied those passages. We don't revile in return. We don't give insult for insult. We have a call to not do that. Instead, we're supposed to do something else. Walk forward in verse 9 a little bit. We're supposed to give a blessing instead. And so, yes, someone's being hostile towards you. Yes, that's happening. Someone's being unjust. Yes. But the opposite is what believers are supposed to do. This is the positive verb. Be giving a blessing. The word blessing is the idea of what's the Greek word that we get the word eulogy from, which is praising someone's life. So Peter is now saying, instead of giving revilement for revilement and insult for insult, instead, find a way to praise their life in the context that they're being hostile towards you. That's 
how you make an impact for the gospel and you open that door. So that's what blessing is in this context. So what are some ways you can do that? You can maintain an unconditional love towards them, just like Christ would love them. And I'm not going to only love you and treat you kindly when you treat me kindly. No, I'm going to love you and treat you kindly no matter what you're doing. An unconditional love. In Luke 6.27, Luke records this, said by Jesus, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. You see the unconditional enemies and people who hate you. What are you supposed to do? Love and do good to them. You can also pray for them, for their salvation. If it's a believer, for their sanctification. Yes, believers can be hostile to other believers. And you can pray for them. In Luke 6, 28, just the next verse, Jesus says, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So you can love them unconditionally. You can pray for them. You can express gratitude for them. They're also created by God just like you are. They're one of God's creations. They're made in his image just like you are. They may not be redeemed if it's an unbeliever, but you can be thankful that God has made them and let that go into praise of who God is and what he's done. If they're a believer, you can be thankful that God has saved them. We know that God cares about both believers and unbelievers He sheds his mercy on all of us and he gives his common grace to all of us and how he treats the earth and how he runs creation, how he restrains sin from being as bad as it could be. So we can be grateful for them. And we can forgive them for their hostility. And hopefully this takes your mind to when Peter said and asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive them? And the math that Jesus gives, 70 times 7. And it was not intent to go, all right, well, I'll just start a tally sheet. That's a long one, but I'll get going to 490. That was not the intent. Um, The intent was an exaggerated number, right, to say, I will forgive them. How many times? As many as they sin against you. Why, though? Why? Because at the end of that section, Jesus reminds him that God has shown mercy on him through being forgiven. And so we should show the same mercy and shouldn't hold that back. And then last example to show that we can indeed respond to hostility and be thankful, be praising God, be thankful for them, praying for them, forgiving them is Joseph. Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 and 21. Joseph did this right. He's talking to his brothers who were concerned because of how they treated him. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God has a sovereign, ordained plan for each one of us. Our goal is to walk in his ways and to live that right life. And we know that he's working all things out for the good of those who love him so they become more Christ-like. So if we're pursuing that, then our outward manifestations of how others, of what we do to others is how they treat us can look like unconditionally loving them, praying for them, expressing gratitude for them, forgiving them, and being thankful for their existence. We can bless them instead. We 100% can. So you might be wondering, well, why? Yes, I get that God calls me to that. Um, okay, why would I suffer and instead give a blessing? And the rest of verse 9 tells us that. This is, for you were called. For you were called. And Chris, two Sundays ago, took us through this idea of the effectual call. You were called. You have received salvation. You have been, it's repeated out of verse 21 of chapter 2. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. 
As believers, you've been called to live this way. You've received salvation. We look at it and you inherit a blessing. Inherit is a free transfer. You don't pay for it. It's just handed to you. Typically in the passing of life goes to the next generation. That's an inheritance. That's that freely given. And what you get? You got a blessing. We got salvation through Christ. That's what we received. Which means then we can understand why then we should give a blessing instead of revilement or insult. That's what believers do. That's what believers do. So let's apply this, these outward characteristics that we've seen. Not returning revilement for revilement or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. And remember, we are truly blessed having received salvation freely. We are. That's where we're starting from. That's your square one. You may forget square one and go back to square one many times a day. I do. You, you, but that's your square one. We're starting from that perspective. We have our Savior. We have eternal life. And we have hope and future glory. We can truly have joy in this broken world. We can truly treat others that are hostile toward us this way. And if we're living this way, again, think about a body of believers that live this way. These are the outward manifestations of your redeemed heart. We're a blessing. We're a blessing. We're a blessing to the believers around us. They walk their lives better because we walk our lives better. We're an encouragement to them. And we're a blessing to the unbelievers around us because they look and they wonder, well, how on earth are they not reviling me or that person? How on earth are they not insulting back? How on earth are they not having a bad attitude? Why aren't they complaining like the rest of us? It's a blessing to them. It's a blessing to them. It shows them the love of God. It shows them a redeemed life. It shows them the gospel. It opens the door for that. And we know they actually see those good works out of Matthew 5 and they glorify their Father who is in heaven. They glorify God who is in heaven, not their Father. It might turn out to be that way if they repent and believe. Um, but they glorify God who is in heaven. So that's our second proof. The outward characteristics of a believer living the right life. And now Peter's going to give us a gift. A really, really, really great gift. He's going to prove his instruction going back to a psalm from the Old Testament. Again, he's going to look at Scripture to prove Scripture so that we can have confidence in it. And then put your place in the perspective of the people that are receiving this letter. That's where it's more powerful. We have the luxury of all of Scripture. So, well, yeah, of course you know that there's Peter in the Psalm 30. Of course we know. Okay, yeah, it's all right there. They didn't know. They were just getting a letter from the Apostle Peter and transferring that around to everybody. What they knew, what they knew was the Psalms. They knew the Old Testament. So feel that weight that this is them receiving. Yes, okay, this is, this is true. He's going back to Psalm 34. I know that. So that's the gift that he's given. Let's read verse 10 through 12 to set this up. It says, The one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And it's Peter proving that, hey, there's a blessed person, and they look like this. I'm not pulling this from nowhere. I'm, there's a blessed person, they look like this, and there's a blessing for believers. And that's how this is going to break up. Verses 10 and 11 is the blessed person. And you see that that blessed person has a purpose to their life, just like we've talked about. And what is that purpose? He desires life 
to love and see good days. That word desires life is not as opposed to death. It's bigger than that. It's the idea of a full experience. He desires to live his life fully before the Lord. He desires to then love and see good days. This is the idea of that, I want to live a life before the Lord that he's pleased with. And I recognize that he's given me things to be blessed by in this world. And I recognize that I have things to look forward to. And that is this person who is desiring life to love and see good days. Solomon sums it up really well when he closes Ecclesiastes in chapter 12, 13. He says, when all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commands because this is for all humanity. In verse 14, he says, for God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. That's a person who can have confidence in their purpose in life, knowing that God is accomplishing all things and he's given me purpose what am I supposed to do? Fear him, that reverential, healthy fear, recognizing how great God is and keep his commands. And to accomplish that, we live that right life of inward characteristics and outward characteristics. In Psalm 34, he gives us a description of what those, be across three, or what those are across three ideas, our speech, our actions, and our motive. If you keep going in verse 10, you see our speech. He says he must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceit, lips from speaking deceit. And we know from James chapter 3, about that tongue and what it does. This is in the context of what we're controlled by. And James writes, And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. An unrestrained tongue is a great damage. So a person, a person living that blessed life that's described restrains their tongue. And not only this, but they speak, they keep from speaking deceit. That purpose of our tongue and the speech that we give go back to we should be edifying. We should be speaking only words that are good for the moment out of Ephesians 4.29 to build someone up. And those don't match with someone living that purpose for God's life, for God's purpose for our lives. And then we hit our actions. Keep going in verse 10 and 11. Must turn away from evil and do good. And this is the idea. If you can imagine someone leaning as far away from something as possible without falling over, far away. And on the other side that they're leaning close to is good. So as far away as you can lean from evil, you're leaning as far into good as possible. It's completely separate. There's no intertwining. There's no mix. There's no desire for both to be there. Only one-sided, only towards doing good is what the word picture is trying to get across. And then we see their motive. Must seek peace and pursue it. In a world filled with hostility, in a world filled with I'm trying to think of the right word. A culture that says it's okay to be whoever you want to be and treat anybody however you want to treat them. That that is an idea that's promoted in that world, the one we live in, which is not anything new under the sun. The motive is to seek peace and pursue it. To, take a, to have that, I have peace with the Lord. I have salvation. And so as best I can, I'm going to live my life free of discord, free of dissonance with everyone around me. That's the action of someone who's pursuing a life that God's pleased with. And if you do those things, this is a beautiful part, verse 12, then the blessing happens. And I love this. The word pictures that are here. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their prayer. And his face is against those who do evil. All three of those are blessings. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. What a comforting thought. He sees all we do. 
and not just sees, he cares about us while seeing. Everything that we do, he cares. Proverbs 5.21 says, For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and he considers all his paths. The Lord's walking with us. He knows. You might have taken your mind. He said the eyes of the Lord sees everything. Psalm 139, key psalm about God's um, uh, omniscience and omnipresence. And he says, verse 1 to 2, he says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. God knows us. Our thoughts, the intentions of our hearts, where we're going. And it doesn't continue and say, and so he casts you out. No, he keeps us. He desires our relationship with us. He encourages us. He disciplines us as a good father if we need discipline. And he encourages us. That's the father, the God that we serve. And not only his eyes see you, but his ears attend to our prayers, which is awesome. He hears and answers our prayers. We looked at Hebrews 4.16 earlier, but I'll say it again. It says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. You can approach God's throne with boldness. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. What a blessing. We can approach God's throne with boldness and we can receive grace and mercy at the proper time. That's a promise. We're not alone. And then the last aspect of this blessing is the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And we are often, again, the wrong, I am often tempted, y'all are fine, I am often tempted to see evil being done and think, well, where is justice? In Psalm 73, it's a great record of, a psalm, of the psalmist, Psalmist Asaph, and he writes, my foot almost slipped. He almost became discouraged. He almost gave in uh, to the sinful desire to go, well, where is God? All I see is these wicked people prospering. That's all I see. But at the end of that psalm, this is what he writes. Psalm 73, 27 and 28, he says, those far from you, God, far from God will certainly perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. And there's that right mindset. I made God my refuge so that I can tell about all he does. This is a blessing from God that he has promised that this is not the end state. He will come. He will judge. And he will see and deal with all to those who do right and those who are unrepentant sinners. So in summary, we've discussed, discussed three proofs. Let me summarize it for us. Proof one was the inward characteristics of the believer. The takeaway there is our inward attitude must be right if we're going to have any chance of living a right life before the Lord. We start there. The second proof that Peter gave us was the outward characteristics of a believer. And the takeaway there is if our heart is rightly operating, if our spiritual heart is operating rightly, our actions will be a blessing to those around us, believers and unbelievers. And that's what God wants. And then the third proof was the kindness of God to prove the blessing that we have as believers through Psalm 34. God is faithful and consistent to prove his word. We can stand strong on that. I have a, an ask of you that's twofold as we conclude this morning, just two. The first one is praise the Lord. Go praise the Lord honestly, sincerely, that he's given us a right life that we can live here. We can have joy in this life that's broken. 
That is a blessing. Praise him for that. And then lastly, search your hearts. If there are any of those five internal characteristics, those are not exhaustive, and any of those outward characteristics that are missing, that are off kilter in your life, search your heart for those. Identify them, name them, repent to the Lord, renew your mind on those, and pursue the right way of living before the Lord. That's where our blessing on this earth is, and that's where he wants us to live. Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we have covered a heavy portion of Scripture this morning where you call to the forefront and in plain sight tell us exactly what you expect of us as we live lives before others. And uh, the life that you've given us, inwardly, outwardly. Um, but Lord, along the whole way, you have, and I praise you for this, you have shown us that you are there with us. You've shown us that you care for us. You've shown us that you hear our prayers. You've shown us that you are indeed sovereign and just. And you, are show, you have shown us that you are our great shepherd and the guardian of our souls. We are not alone. And not only are you also there, but you've given us these relationships of believers to be blessed by and to be a blessing to in this world as we walk. Lord, I pray that you would grow our understanding of our own hearts towards these ways and that we would walk more clearly before you, praising you and uh, living out the blessed life that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.